0: Hi everyone. This is your cyber path. We're the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job. And I'm Kip Boyle. Wes Schreiner is here. We are experienced hiring managers of cybersecurity professionals, and we want to help you get your dream cybersecurity job. you can get this episode a couple of different ways we've got an audio only version just grab your favorite podcast listening app and look for us there your CyberPath podcast and we have a video version which you should check out on youtube because we're actually showing uh some uh some visuals here that you're going to want to see you can download those visuals as well if you hit the link in the uh youtube uh video description so if you haven't been here before, we're in the middle of a long series, and it's a series that's designed to tell you all about the way cybersecurity organizations are put together in a pretty large organization. And we're doing this so that you can understand what the opportunities are out there. There are a ton of opportunities, uh, but if you don't know about them, then you can't aim for them. So today we're going to talk about Uh, a service that's called Security Strategy and Architecture. And we've got a a service catalog that we're going through episode by episode. And this is number 10 in that service catalog. And we're going to show you kind of the the placemat here in a moment uh, uh, if you're watching us. And today we're going to explore this service with the help of uh, our guest. And our guest today is Peter. But before we meet Peter, Wes, do you
1: have a farm story for us? Oh, it's good to be here, Kip. It's been a it's been a good week on the farm as well. I need to call out that this week was a special week in our house. We uh, uh it's not an animal story. This is a people story. Mm. This this week we 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 celebrated Easter in our house. But in doing so, I need to explain that our family has five children, and of those five children, uh, we made two, we've adopted one, and we have two foster children in our house that have been with us for a couple of years. We uh, uh we have over the last many years built a relationship with our adopted daughter's maternal grandfather. Okay. Uh, and so uh, this weekend, for the first time, we were able to invite Grandpa Leon to come from Texas up to up to Seattle and spend a week with us, mm. living in our house and being a grandpa to all five kids, not just the one that is is his granddaughter. And and it was a world class, phenomenal experience. Uh, you could see an eight-year-old looking in the eyes of a of, of her biological grandfather and seeing seeing herself a little bit in that in that history. Uh some of my favorite parts was that nobody was stressed about uh whose role is whose, mm-hmm. because it's okay to be a grandfather to one and to five, and it's okay to be a dad of one and to five. And and uh there was a beautiful respect that happened with with grandpa and and uh, I'm just really proud of it. It's one of those weekends that will be remembered 50 years from now. It's one of those weekends that this eight-year-old, when she's 58, will be telling her grandchildren about the time she got to spend the weekend with her her biological grandfather. And so, uh, uh, what a special weekend it was. Uh, thanks for for asking. This was yeah.
0: That's great. It doesn't always have to be about the animals, although the animal stories are kind of funny, Wes, to be honest. Ah, they're good. <laughs> they're but this good. was they're a so great so one. So. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that. Good time. So there's my buddy, Wes, architecting amazing human experiences. in to ah, Look at that. Cybersecurity solutions. <laughs> well, let's yeah. introduce Peter. Wes, tell
1: everybody about Peter, would you? Well, I would like to. I think his name is Peter Gregory. He goes by might be Peter. Uh, you can also find him as Peter H. Gregory. <laughs> Here is our, uh, here's our slide on Peter. He lives in eastern Washington, central eastern Washington. We call it Wenatchee. That is the heart of Apple country. Mm-hmm. Peter is can be found on LinkedIn as Peter H. Gregory. He's also got his own Wikipedia page. Have we had a guest with their own Wikipedia page yet? I don't think so. If we did, we haven't called it we out. didn't know it. You've got to get some better <laughs> guests, guys. Come on. We're trying to level up right now. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter has written probably 50 different articles or books in the security field over his career. He's in the, He has written, 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 and he's also done the work. Uh, he's currently at a telecom company. He is on the, the security board at at University of South Florida and University of Washington. I'm I'm sorry, I, I should have done that uh, in reverse because we know the University of Washington is a better university than South Florida. You but, saved uh, the best for last, Wes. There we you go. We all know that. A co-founder of the CISO Forum and and a big contributor to advancing the state of the art with with many of the of the CISM, CDP, PSE, and the CISA uh, how-to books that become the canon for for understanding that uh, those disciplines. Peter, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, let's see.
2: Uh, I've been in uh, in technology longer than I'm going to admit here today. Uh, but my my pivot into cybersecurity started uh, a little over twenty years ago. In the late nineties, I was at AT&T Wireless uh, doing IT architecture operations uh, in a kind of a secret skunk skunkworks startup inside of. Uh, AT&T Wireless and security was really, really important to our executives there, uh, and they tagged me with making sure that cybersecurity was the best it could possibly be uh, at that time. And I enjoyed doing it. I found uh, through some some events and incidents over the next couple of years that I was I seemed to be pretty good at it.
0: Um, well, that's a great mandate to cut your teeth under.
2: Well, and I I got good at it because I had a really good foundation in TCP IP networking. I knew operating systems, internals, Unix mainly, Windows. And mm. eh, Windows was, was not impressive in those days. Uh, but I knew OS internals. I had been a software engineer. I had worked with uh, relational databases. So I had... Uh, a lot of practical experience in a lot of things in IT. So cybersecurity came fairly naturally to me. Um, my first uh, job title with security in the name was in late 1999. Uh, and I haven't looked back f- since then. I've had just marvelous opportunities to grow and and learn new things.
0: I, I think there's Did a takeaway find- there, Wes, right? Because Peter uh, had experienced in technology before he crossed over to cybersecurity, right? And that's really really common.
1: It's it actually really really valuable as well. Is my understanding mm-hmm. Peter, did you find uh is that table stakes for a lot of folks who want to step into an architecture role in security? Uh
2: it really is. Uh, there's there's two the two reasons why you need to have a solid technology background going into IT security. First of all, IT security is called IT security. So you need to know the IT part. You need p- people who are interested in getting into any IT security role need to understand how does the technology itself work? How can you how can you possibly understand a, an attack in detail or how to how to build defenses in detail if you don't understand the technologies in play? It just doesn't happen. Now, that's not to say that you can't be successful without an IT background. But if you're lacking an IT background, then your career opportunities are going to be more limited. You probably could still do okay in third-party risk management or risk management in general in a larger org where... Your lack of a solid technology background is compensated by others on the team who do have that background. Mm-hmm. But in a really small organization, the security people have to be really solid in the tech.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But uh just to just to be clear, you know, we also know that if you want to get into the cybersecurity industry and you don't have a, a tech background, there are some non-technical jobs that you can you know, that you can go for if you've got some transferable skills, right? So, and I don't want to really drill into that in great
1: detail. We've talked about that in other episodes, but um, but, uh, yeah, that's great. This one is security architecture and we've got our expert on the line. So let's jump in and see what we can find. Uh, To remind you, this is the 23 common services of a security service catalog. Of those 23 common services, you can see they're, they're split between the governance risk and compliance the product security space, the security operation space, and then the engineering architecture and test. Today we're gonna to be focusing specifically in that top right corner uh, for security strategy and architecture. This is our placement. Number 10, number 10 on this placemat. Yep. Uh, and that's that's where we'll be uh jumping ahead. Uh, actually, yeah, we'll go ahead and jump ahead and see where we go. Uh, in the security strategy and architecture discipline, there are generally three different types of security architects. Understand, I'm I'm trying to nail a gummy worm to the wall right now <laughs> when I say there are three types of security architects. But uh, uh, if you can see the the uniqueness of each of these three, you may find that you're putting on all three hats in a given day, or, or you may find that uh, you want to focus in one of these areas and help grow your career. So uh, let's take a look. The first one on the left here is the enterprise architect security. That enterprise architecture uh, security focused individual reports usually into IT with a dotted line to the security organization. They're focused on security support of the business strategy. To be clear, I said business strategy, not technology strategy. This can be as much a business architect as as a technology architect, and it integrates security with all disciplines. Uh, This is not isolated only to security. And in some cases, that EA is responsible uh, for more than one discipline, more than just the security discipline, but might have several disciplines in there uh, that they represent at the Architecture Council. The second one, and and we will go in deeper uh, on each one of these on the future slides. The the second one I want to call out, I'm going to call the Security Strategy Architect. That Strategy Architect is one who works closely with security leadership, focuses on the business side, on the business of the security organization. They plan the security organization for three to five years ahead, and they build a reference architecture for capabilities the security organization is going to deliver against. The third column to the right there is security solution architect. Now, this is probably the hardest one to, to define. This is Think about this person as working with business units or or specific pillars within your organization. They work closely with those business unit leaders to design each security solution. They might even build a roadmap for that business unit for six months to two years uh, ahead of which security features we're going to prioritize and how we're going to work together to secure the product base that this business unit delivers. Uh, And they're going to be focused on security strategy in every design.
0: You know, before we put the slide deck together, I, I didn't even really in my own mind separate out that there's three different types of architects, let alone a fourth type, right, which you mentioned at the bottom of the page. And yeah. just want to say to um, to folks that if you're not working in a large enterprise where there's actually four different seats, then, you know, you might see people wearing more than one hat.
1: And you should. You should. In fact, if you're doing these roles and you find that you're the one wearing those hats, and you don't have an opportunity to do some of one of these three, uh, that's a great place to grow.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'd say that in a lot of organizations, all of this is one person mm. until you get into Very security. So. Until you get into security orgs that have, say, more than fifty people, this would be like one or two people sharing all the things here.
1: Agreed. I'm going to call out that fourth type of architect. That is the, uh, uh, that's actually covered in our service catalog number 11. And think of that as more of an engineering and architecture type role. It's very tactical, very operational, very much hands-on for every IT change that happens in your organization. It's specific to, wait, you want to do what? Uh, I believe is the phrase that most often comes (laughs) out of their mouth. And we'll have an opportunity to look at them in greater detail in service catalog item 11. So for now, we're just going to smile and wave and stay focused on the three, the three roles of architecture that are here across the top. Yeah, I can't
0: wait till we get to another episode where we get to talk about Dr. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that is not what we are. <laughs> well, we not, you know, the no and technology.
2: Wes, <laughs> to your point about the, the solution, you know, engineering and architecture of you want to do what? I mean, that's in better companies. In other companies, it's like you did what? <laughs> yeah.
1: Right? Good point. Yeah. And that's your software <laughs> development lifecycle. We'll get into SDLC in the future. But for today, <laughs> we're jumping ahead. This specifically is the Enterprise Architect. We're looking at four different pieces. Look at the, you can see there's a, a graph on our screen with four different cr- uh, corners. In the top left, we're talking about what the position is. The top right is what that, that role creates. What are the primary deliverables? The bottom left is what kind of behaviors do we often see from that person? And then the bottom right is the success criteria. So let's take a look at the enterprise architect focused on security, who may be dotted line to your CTO or CIO uh, and sits on that architecture council. That person is creating architectural axioms for the organization, directional uh, big ideas that may not be uh, directly translatable to tomorrow's project, but will guide what we're gonna do for the next five years of our organizational uh, direction.
0: And isn't that why this person is always sort of being accused of talking in such you know, sweeping generalities that nobody can
1: understand what they're saying? They're accused of that. They're also accused <laughs> of taking over meetings and talking about ideas in the clouds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or rabbit trails, what are we doing? Come on, we got to solve problems and make decisions. No, no, no. We need to talk about the theoretical opportunity available to us. Yeah, well, their heads are in the clouds,
2: right? In, yeah. In, in many ways. And their tool set is
1: PowerPoint. It Period. is. And they're talking about quantum encryption, right? How do we do quantum encryption? That's uh, if you're asking about quantum encryption, you might be interested in the enterprise architect security role. Yeah, true that. Uh, the behaviors of this person might be uh, tracking industry thought leadership. Uh, they might read a lot. They might drive organizational goals. Uh, and they might, uh, might be pretty responsive to risk management. If we've got a huge risk in one area of our business, uh, they should probably be paying attention to that area and helping us shore that up with some big ideas that might might change our whole paradigm for how we look at that risk and, and look at that business. These folks are going to know their technology. They're going to know their business. They're going to know security, and they're going to be able to create trust with those they advise. This is a trust role.
2: It's very much an influencer role as well. I mean, they're not really influencing tomorrow and maybe not even next year, but they're influencing the year after that. Uh, so they they really have to have good relationships with business leaders who you know they who need to be willing to share their visions with that enterprise architect mm-hmm. uh, and others so that they can be sure that whatever the business wants to be doing in a couple of years that the tech will be there and that the tech will be safe that the, the security that needs to be there, will be there and not, you know, through, you know, last minute planning and scrambling, but through, you know, long-term uh, thought and consideration.
1: These, These are the, are big the people reading white papers. Mm-hmm. These are the people who are getting patents with their hobbies on the weekends. Yeah, they're not just <laughs> reading them, they're writing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, have thinkers. you known anyone who was successful in a role like this? And and can you think a little bit about what uh, what they brought that w- that helped them be successful?
2: Well, just think, very broad, yeah. very broad technology knowledge, relationships with like-minded people in other companies, relationships with futurists, even, um, because they they really have a task of applying their you know some degree of imagination to help form the technology of the the future in that in that business. In some companies, these are the people security, who imagined we
1: may all work from home as remote at some point. These are the people who imagine we may never need passwords again.
2: Yes, and yes, uh, and and other things like that. Right, and and to whom that uh, you know quantum, uh, you know, quantum crypto is is not necessarily a, a threat, but just another opportunity.
1: Indeed, indeed. All right, let's see what we've got uh, on the next security architect. This is the security strategist. This person reports into the security leadership. Uh, They're usually building a three to five year roadmap for what the security organization can can do today and should do tomorrow. They're doing an internal assessment of what are we good at and an honest assessment of what can we improve on. When they're building a reference architecture, they're building it for the security business as what are our capabilities as a security business and what do we want to be able to be capable of next year or the year after? Uh, They're probably looking at the business continuity disaster recovery plan and saying, saying, we want to shore up this area before we uh, have a pandemic and I'll have to work from home or something like that. Probably won't ever happen. And they're the ones that, that are identifying. I
0: they're, they're, I'm sorry, Peter. I didn't mean to step to stock on you, but I, I was going to say they're the ones that are deciding, like you know, what's the what's the relative importance of ident, of identity as compared to you know some other thing like digital certificates, and you know where are we going to where are we going to invest our our limited you know research and development uh, budget? You know which one's more important? So it's about you know developing new capabilities, just like you said, Wes.
1: If your organization has a hard shell and a soft center. Uh, it's these guys who need to fix it, right? If you're not treating identity as your new firewall, it's these guys. If you don't have people talking about an internal uh, internal threat as as your most likely threat, or or even the if if you don't have a phishing capability at this point, it's probably these guys who didn't prioritize that yet.
0: Uh, or how do you do zero is- trust architectures, right? Or zero trust networks?
2: Or even nice. what happens after zero trust? architecture isn't the new thing. What's mm-hmm. going to be the
1: next new thing? Uh, is there a fraction of zero we could use? Uh,
2: in <sighs> imaginary numbers or real numbers?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we can get below zero trust, but it's it's uh, zero trust will be compromised. We'll have to have another digital revolution like we've had uh, three times in my career so far. We are digitizing our organization, uh, whatever that means. <laughs> I thought we had already done it. I was kind of surprised that it came around again. (laughs) But you've seen it too, haven't you? Yeah. We're going to digitize our organization. We're going digital. The behaviors of this person, they're going to track industry thought leadership. They're going to drive risk management priorities into the projects that come up next. And we're going to align them to organizational goals. These folks are passionate learners. They're going to practice humility and confidence both, right? They've got to set a direction and be a rudder but just be the rudder you don't have to be the whole ship and they're going to build alignment uh, growing consensus so that so that they don't run alone they run together right if you if you want to get somewhere fast you go alone if you want to if you want to stay there when you get there you bring the group on the way and this person's going to be good at that
0: notice the human factors in play here right it's not about it's not all about technology
2: well, and even for roles like this, and and the prior role, I mean, all of these are just you know one player. It's it's all a team sport. You know, this mm-hmm. is this is not a superstar thing, but it's it's a team thing,
1: and it really is. And
2: the humility is what you know really helps here because even the best strategists don't know everything. I mean, if they think they do, then mm, I don't know.
1: And the team doesn't stop the team doesn't stop at your company it doesn't stop with your security team in fact inside inside the security team we can reach out to folks in our product team to better understand how they recommend we design a security solution we can reach out across organizations to another company probably not a direct competitor and and calibrate how how does that security person recommend solving a problem right i've I know I've seen Kip, Peter, and myself reach out to each other on a regular basis. Uh, we try to keep that off of public channels, but but very much. Uh, how how do you handle HSM in the cloud? Right, is is a question I saw recently. Uh, it's a good conversation to have, and to have a team of folks behind you that that are helping you succeed. We all need each other in that way.
2: Yep. You know, Wes, I would add to that success criteria that you're networking with your peers in your industry and even into other industries uh, at times. Uh, And that's really essential because generally an organization is going to have one strategist, if any, and there may not be suitable peers for that strategist to uh, bounce ideas off of all the
0: time. Yeah, so that's why yeah, that yeah.
2: networking through private channels is is so important.
0: I want to add a caution here too. Um, I think Peter's right, you do need to talk to other people and other organizations, both inside and outside your industry, but but be be careful about trying to advocate for uh you know reference architectures and strategies that are not appropriate for your size of organization or the industry that you're in? I mean, just because the the giant bank down the street where your buddy works is, you know, doing something doesn't, it, se- it may seem cool, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good fit for you, not in the banking industry, in a mid-sized company. I mean, you can get in trouble real fast if you're not paying attention to that.
2: You know, Kip, if, uh, if, if we could pause there for a minute, the
1: mm-hmm.
2: that is uh, really just the, tip of a bigger iceberg where so many organizations, uh, you know, security and technology, even they adopt technologies and techniques because their friends do their Mm. peers do. And even companies that aren't their peers. Uh, There's, there's so much, uh, you know, doing what other companies are doing because they think it might be cool or because their peer in a, in another company across town said hey you know we we just implemented this tool and it really was good for us and and people who are not as mature as they need to be as a strategist or architect might think well if it was if it helped them it's going to help me which is not the right approach to take at all uh, <laughs> those kinds of decisions should be risk driven and business aligned and not because your neighbor's doing it
0: yep Yep. Although that's a very human, that's a very human reaction, right? To kind of, you know, uh to look and see what the crowd's doing and then just kind of go along, you know, with that. It's 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 like it's hitting the easy button, but totally. it can but it
1: can be very dangerous. One of Absolutely. the mistakes. I'm sorry. Uh one of the ways this person can fall in a hole is actually to be labeled as a tools guy. Mm. If you become <laughs> yep. labeled as the shiny object tools person, uh I don't really understand the problem. I don't understand what our processes are, but I know that if we buy this thing, it's going to make our lives better, <laughs> right? That is not the right approach for your organization or any organization. And in fact, is the fastest route for this person to be uh, shown the door. And in many ways, we lose mm-hmm. trust in the person who says, right. uh, just go spend money on tools. It
2: can make the vendor's life better. You know, it can, you know, pay for the kids' braces or, you know, get that new ski boat or, you know, whatever. Yeah, but,
0: and you might get a steak dinner when the restaurants open back up.
2: <laughs> maybe.
0: <laughs> maybe. <laughs>
2: maybe, if if my gift policy lets me do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right, and if we live in the same city, because, you know, with the pandemic, we're, we're not just limited to business relationships where we live because location no longer matters.
1: Right. So So I've got a vendor who I actually agreed to to sit down with. Uh, I'm working at a company that's an East Coast company now, and I'm on the West Coast. So they have a a happy hour meeting that's going to take place at 5 p.m. East Coast time, which is still actually mid-afternoon for me here in Seattle. And they're having uh, mint julep shipped to my home for that. And uh, I I had to ask for the non-alcoholic option. (laughs) (laughs) Two in the afternoon, right? I've still got a lot of day left. (laughs) True. All right. Uh, So that tells you a little bit about the security strategist. Let's take a look at that third role. Where is that? The security solution architect. (laughs) What's that? I said, where is that next button? It's the easy button, Wes. Hit the easy button. (laughs) I know. Computers are hard. Don't you guys know? Uh, All right. Uh, security Solution Architect reports into usually business unit leadership, so not into the security team. Uh, or if it does report into the security team, it's dotted line to different business unit leaderships. Uh, this is the person who's creating the security business unit roadmap for a specific business, business unit. Now, that business unit may be your frontline organization that includes your sales and care. That business unit might be your uh mergers and acquisitions group that you just bought. Maybe it's a whole subsidiary of your organization, Hmm. right? Maybe that business unit is your uh, primary product line. You're not going to have one of these for every business unit of every company. In fact, uh, this person uh, is going to be in the most strategic business units that need that that dedicated security leadership. Uh, They're going to design risk reduction. Their, Their day job is take down the risk, right? And and I'm using an acronym BISO and the acronym QBR here. A BISO is a business security or uh, what? How do you? What is the acronym BISO? Yeah, it's business, a business information, information security, security officer. Yeah. Officer. Yeah. Uh, and that's a person dedicated to a specific business unit for the purpose of of building out their security capabilities. Uh, a quarterly business review is a QBR, and that might be something that. Uh, the security officer, the BISO, would conduct with their business organization to talk through what kind of security awareness and training have we done, what kind of projects have we evaluated, what kind of vulnerabilities do we have in our environment, What uh, uh, and, and a whole host of, of security-related metrics that we can track in a single scorecard and, and check in on a quarterly basis for for what's going on. All right. That was a, a lot of detail on that QBR, but I find it's a function that, that gets lost a lot of times. And and when we, when we build it out, it actually gamifies security across the company and makes it really an effective way to have a conversation about how we're using security here. Mm-hmm. Some of the behaviors of this person, they're going to be building trusted alignment across the business unit and security. Please don't underestimate the, the effort involved in that bullet that is one of the hardest things, right? The business unit is here to make money and security is here to slow us down. No, that's not what it is. I'm pretty sure it's not. In (laughs) fact, as a security professional, I want that business unit to make money because then my kids are gonna go to college. Yep. Right. Uh, That person is working uh, with priorities one to three years ahead and they're driving security into the highest risks of that business unit. These people are gonna be technical leaders, they're going to be trusted partners and they're going to use a lot of social engineering. (laughs) I can almost guarantee it because you have to, you're hacking your organization to get the organization to a healthier, better place.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the metrics that I would use in this is uh, kind of goes back to something we said earlier, which is, uh, you know, you, you want to do what versus you did what the more you're, you know, if you're, if you're in this position and the more you're saying you did what, the less effective you've you're being because what you really want is for people to come to you and say, we're thinking about doing this seems risky. You know, what's your take on it? Boy, when people start saying that to you a lot, you know, you're doing really well. Well, right. The, it's because it's
2: the more they trust you, the more mm-hmm. they trust you, the further to the left, they're going to let you go. Is, is what that's all about. And yeah. by the way, that term further to the left really means just getting involved in initiatives and things earlier in time when ideas are just ideas before there are requirements, yeah. before there are architectures, before yep. there are designs. Uh, early in my career, I have experienced many times where in, in a large, large, large company where engineering would call us up literally midweek late in the week saying, hey security department uh, we're going live with this new service next week. can you come and check it out?
0: Yeah or <laughs> maybe hit we would have to hit
2: you know mute on the phone and, and slam our damn it doll on the desk or just you know curse or laugh or cry or something and then uh uh-huh. get back and just say well, sure yeah we'll, we'll we'll look at it
0: well okay. and yeah ha- that's one of the ways you have to earn trust right because you're scur- you're typically starting in that position right and, and and it's a delicate thing because you you want to be trusted but you don't want to be so good at securing things at the last minute that you're actually enabling behavior that you don't want to see all the time it's really right. tough
2: well, for sure. I mean, it's like if you were security at an aircraft company and they wanted you to check things out at the last minute, you basically have to stand on the runway as the plane comes and you know <laughs> runs you over on takeoff. Right? It's like, yeah, at that point, you're not going to be stopping anything.
0: Yeah, you know the and way if I you
2: describe, you're you're. It's going to be. It's going to go badly if you try. Yeah,
0: yeah. The, you know the way I describe the business value one of the ways that I've had some success describing the business value of bringing me in early is I say look I know you guys and I'm talking to you know like the tech leaders and the business unit leaders and I'll say I know you guys think security is expensive but if you can bring us in earlier actually it can be less costly just like if you're building a house and you figure out where you want those power outlets to be before the sheetrock goes up <laughs> it's yeah. way less expensive yes
2: that's a that's a good metaphor. I'll have to I'll have to use something like that.
0: because you right, to... you're going to be working for another twenty years, right,
1: Peter? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you if you yeah. bring <laughs> if something. you bring me in when the when the code is written, that's going to be pretty close to deployment. If you can bring me in when the white uh, when the uh, uh, PowerPoint is written, I'm going to have a chance to influence it for a much less expensive price. Yeah. If you bring me in when the whiteboard is drawn. That's even cheaper for me to make changes before the 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 PowerPoint is made and the white and the and the code is written. If you bring me in when the napkin is drawn, that's even further left. And and if I may, if I'm there when the beers are consumed and the idea is spawned, that is where we want to be. And the moving left in the lifestyle. Well, oh yeah. You know,
2: the beer and the napkin happens at the same time, West. Right. <laughs> That's the same sit down.
0: <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> Sorry,
2: uh, don't spend too good, much
0: time in the bathroom, though.
2: <laughs> good point. Now, something that I've thought of, although I usually don't use this metaphor, but something I learned from a colleague years ago. He used to talk about the 110-100 rule, which mm-hmm. is that the you know the later you wait to bring security in, the more expensive it's going to cost. It can cost one unit if you bring us in at the beginning. It might cost ten units if you bring us in, say after the design is done and it might cost a hundred units of work, including, you know, say rework and so forth, if you bring us in after you've built it.
1: Yeah. That's Indeed.
0: good.
2: 110, 100.
1: And these these three architecture roles that we've talked about today are the the architects who can help us move left in that life cycle to build the security axioms for how we want to how we want to enable our business and, and direct our business in the future. They can build the security strategy so we know what pillars we want to align our projects to. And they can help us architect and design the next two years of priorities so that we are building that direction. Kind of fun. Let's take a look at that last one that uh, uh, is actually service number 11, so we'll get to it later. This one reports to security and actually does the, uh, the rubber meets the road security design work. This is for the IT change that's coming out next week, next month, or the project that comes out this summer. Uh, They will have the technical chops, the humility, and the partnership to be successful. And they will own the organizational appetite for risk, right? Uh, If we design a $10 solution to a million-dollar problem, we didn't understand the problem. (laughs) If we design a million-dollar solution to a $10 problem, We didn't understand the problem, and there's an escalation coming, right? Mm, (laughs) Yeah. So your boss will hear about (laughs) it. Yep. These are folks who, when they see something, they have to say something. It's a very high integrity role. Uh, We'll get into more of this role in the future, but I wanted to call it out here because it is an engineering architecture hybrid. Mm. All right. And uh, yeah, this is the one most often you find yourself standing in front of the jet plane. and becoming part of the tarmac, um, it is—it's a fun role because you're in the middle of of the operations of the organization. Yeah. All right. Oh my goodness! I hope you enjoy the colors on this slide. <laughs> Love it.
2: Wes, um, is that a beer can?
1: Yes, sir. These are <laughs> seriously. Archi- these are examples of <laughs> reference architecture. I almost. I almost made it our architecture because it's a good pirate slide. <laughs> the,
0: uh, I want to
2: know what the beer can is doing there. I well,
0: think that's left are, over from the conversation that we were brought in early on.
2: Was that the, the part of the cocktail napkin thing? Was that the logo on the napkin <laughs> that they thought was part of the design?
1: <laughs> nice. No, what I'm trying to do here is call out there are four different types of reference architectures that we might see in our organization, that we might create in our organization. And in fact, uh, when you see the differences between these four, you're going to find that there's actually 100 more types of reference architecture because there's not a clear definition of what exactly they need to look like. right? So if I can point you to this top one first, uh, that's got uh, capabilities across the top of perimeter or identity or endpoint. Uh, and then down the down the left hand side it has part business units it hr finance frontline supply chain and then it has a list of well what tools are actually operating in that intersection mm-hmm. and then once we understand the tools it's red yellow or green based on how they're operating for that business unit in mm-hmm. that intersection this is really a capabilities for business unit matrix that helps us understand where we may want to increase our investment in our organization this is an organizational view the, the next one is here in the top right the physical topology versus the logical topology and it's really laying out your your network diagram with with your your vlans and your firewalls all included so you can better understand how do i get from here to there where does my dmz reside and what does uh, if i were building an application on this network What's the right way to do that from from moving from high to low and and never moving from low to high in my security zones? All right, Uh, I'm going to leave security zone architecture as a nebulous thing and just let you look it up on Wikipedia if you want to later because it's kind of a fun topic. This bottom left one is actually more of AWS components and it's it's just AWS components and arrows. Uh, You'll notice that there are some numbers on there. And so probably beneath this, are uh, descriptions of what does one uh, gonna be emphasized? What is number two gonna emphasize? What is three gonna emphasize? So there's probably a a, a key underneath this that explains a lot of what is happening in this diagram. And then your, your fourth reference diagram is here in the bottom right, right? And that's your beer cans and lightning bolts. <laughs>
2: that's where all, it came from.
1: All four are reference architectures and all four can be templates for how do I evaluate my organization? Uh, how do I design my next application? Or how do I want to implement uh, my own network? In in some cases, right? Mm. All four will get you where you want to go. Choose the diagram that's gonna gonna work best for you. In the architecture role, you've got that freedom.
2: So one one thing, Wes, I'm wondering about here is it, it seems as though there are levels of abstraction and. Uh, I wonder what thoughts you might have about that.
1: Uh, tell me, take me there. What do you mean?
2: Well, uh, for instance, the diagram at the at the bottom right is is looks like it's it's talking about some <clears throat> some different networking mm-hmm. or computing zones. Maybe maybe that's what those lines mean. Is that those are like components in different yep. regions? And so, very abstract. I mean, that's nowhere near an architecture. Well, I I guess you could call it architecture, but conceptual, very conceptual, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. But sometimes abstraction, I think, can be more powerful because depending on who you're talking to, putting the technology in is just going to be noise. So if you're talking to executives, I'd probably use a diagram like at the bottom right, but probably not a diagram like at the top right i probably wouldn't use either of those topology diagrams if i was talking to executives because they won't even know what i'm saying um capabilities uh, i like the capabilities at the left that's also you know super uh, uh abstraction there but yes. it helps just understand what do we have in different places in different contexts um, it does so i think abstraction for the architect is a really powerful tool but you have to be able to think non-literally and think conceptually and be able to sort of take things out of focus and get more general and i think that's that's an area where an architect can have trouble going until they get some experience or have a mentor who can help them understand this is how do you talk to business people i mean yeah. you don't bring network diagrams into a discussion with C level people. I mean, not even the CISO. I mean, don't do it. Or that'll be the last time you ever see them.
0: Yeah. Uh, my friend Wes has a little a little uh saying, be brief, be brilliant, be gone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. That's right, that's right.
0: Yeah, and you no. really have to understand your audience. Uh, Peter, I love what you were saying there because. It's not just a matter of the position of the person that you're trying to communicate with. It also has a lot to do with just kind of how they see the world. So there's a lot of like concrete linear thinkers that I've worked with. And if you try to show them something that's abstract, they'll fuzz out on you in two seconds and they'll think you're weird.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because they can't understand you. (laughs) Yeah, but if you do the reverse, they'll think you're weird, right? If you take a network diagram into the boardroom, yeah, they'll think, "What a nerd we We don't even know what he's saying." Get him! Yeah,
0: yeah, he's from the planet Binar. Get him out of here! You know, we can't do this. So, um, just the human factors, right? You've really, really got to know your audience.
2: Yes, and you know what's interesting is so much about these architecture roles aren't about the technology always. No they really. they are so big picture. I think that's why this is episode 42, right? The answer to life, the universe, and everything. Because the architect role is kind of the everything role.
1: That's awesome. Right. Thanks for well all the done. fish, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> nice. We need dolphins on the slide. All right. I'm jumping ahead here. Uh, thank you, guys. That was really good input. I think it makes a lot of sense to take it from uh where we are into the abstract and then to be able to bring it back out of the abstract in a new way. Uh and and really help help the listener connect with it and see a new paradigm is is exactly what we're asking the architect. Well, you're talking to just do. like an architect right now, Wes. Careful. Careful. Should I use buzzwords? Should we get out of big bingo? You sheet already did. You
0: used did. paradigm. Whenever you use paradigm, I'm like, okay, here we are, 50,000 feet. Yeah. Got to turn
1: on my oxygen.
2: <laughs> as long as you're buzzword compliant, you're fine.
1: Well, now we're looking at the SIPOC. We've introduced this before. This is all about your your suppliers, your inputs, processes, outputs and customers or consumers of the service that is architecture. Some of the suppliers, I'm going to be gathering information from company strategists. I'm going to get it from the risk uh, the risk story of our organization. And I get it from industry leaders. My inputs might be new regulations, whether that's governmental or industry regulations. It might be uh, the new acquisitions our company just bought. It might be changes in our technology organization, or even better, changes in technology in the industry. Right, mm. a new language comes out, a new capability comes out. Uh, I may be using industry reports, and and my company may be. Uh, uh, re- 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 uh, reacting to a recent security event that may or may not be called a breach. And, and so if we have a breach threat or a bre- breach reality, there may be an architecture, architect involved in designing uh, away from that in the future, right? And then lastly, if the architect isn't taking into account those business objectives, the architect's architecting for the wrong things.
0: You right. know, where I see architects uh, falling down uh, when we think about inputs is they often are looking at what's going on inside the four walls of their organization, and they can miss taking time, forcing them, you know, forcing time into their calendar to see what's actually going on outside their organization and bringing that in. I see that all the time in my v work where, you know, I'm telling uh, customers about, you know, how the, you know, the, the bad guys and the bad girls out there, you know, like what they're actually doing now and how they're innovating with ransomware as a service and all this stuff. And, and they just, they're shocked sometimes, uh, you know, completely disbelieving me that I'm actually coming around with FUD, right. Because they just don't pay attention to what's going on outside.
1: I think it's going to be cool. Next time, next episode, we're going to talk about threat intelligence and the fear, uncertainty and doubt that comes with that of what the bad guys and bad gals are doing out there.
2: Do remember, though, that threat intel is about what's happening right now today that we need to go and dial in and, and keep out of our network. But, I mean, the architect jobs, you know, they need to know the trends and, and, you know, more more generally what's going on now and and where the cyber criminal innovation is likely to go.
0: Yep. Good so word. Super important. Skate where the puck's going, right?
2: Oh yeah. I love that phrase. I use it a lot, especially in Canada. (laughs) The further South you go, the less people understand what you meant by you got to skate to where the puck's going to be.
1: Can you say it with a good accent too? So I'll just leave that one alone. (laughs) Leave it alone. Uh, so the processes (laughs) might be research. Uh, we're going to prioritize, we're going to make recommendations and we're going to create, uh, Create uh, white papers, create recommendations for where where our organization is going to go. We're going to create our outputs. We are, which are the policies, the axioms, the roadmaps, and the reference architectures. Every time you say axiom, all I can think about is the Disney movie. All I can think about is Wally.
0: Mm. Why is that? Because that's the name of the spaceship that everybody escaped from planet Earth on to avoid
1: all the pollution. It's the axiom. axiom. Yeah. And the architectural axioms may save us one day also. That's beautiful.
0: So, flying around in my that. head.
1: Uh, That's beautiful. All right. And the, the consumers, the, the customers of these deliverables may be the design teams. It may be your organizational project governance where we're spending money on what we're going to build or fix next. And then, and lastly, it's going to be the organizational leaders who make the decisions on that money spent. So So that's your SIPOC of architecture. Let's take a look at that uh, that next slide we have, which are the people of security architecture. Uh, We're gonna see security architecture, uh, that enterprise architect is usually an MTS level experience. MTS is a member of technical staff, and you're gonna find those are your principals who are involved in your organization and who are driving and highly trusted by your founders, your board and your, your, uh, your, your C leadership. The plenty the the twenty plus year experience people right uh, potentially yeah uh, oftentimes MTSs do have that that uh, a couple books behind them before they they step into an MTS chair okay uh, that security strategist usually has 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 ten years of experience in both technology and security and that solution architect is usually at least five years of experience in the technology space and in some security to be able to make recommendations for how that business unit is going to be more secure tomorrow than it was today. Uh, that, that BISO role, that solution architect is a great transfer in opportunity for uh, for someone looking for their next opportunity in the security space or moving from a technology to a, a security role. I want to call out that each one of these is an individual contributor role for the most part. Uh, most architects prefer to be in, in uh, uh, technical leadership and not in people leadership. And mm-hmm. so uh it's pretty common that that an architecture chair is not a, a personnel management chair, but that architect is still invited into the leadership committee of that organization.
0: And we really don't want to report to those people anyway. So it's a good, it's a good, you know, deal for everybody.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right about that, Kip. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you don't want those. You don't want those people writing your performance review, right?
0: No, <laughs> no. And I don't <laughs> want to go to them and ask, you know, hey, where's my cost of living adjustment? And They're like, what? Didn't we can talk about this AOS? years ago? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have talked about some of the key uh, success criteria of different architects, and I can look at some of the architects that I've worked with in the past as a as a junior project coordinator, just moving out of the call center into IT. Uh, Sandy was a phenomenal mentor for me. Uh, Jason was a phenomenal mentor, and then there was another person at that company, and and he was a senior principal solution architect type person, and if I had to call him as this junior project coordinator, he answers the phone. Shit, what do you want? <laughs> he people skills. He had people oh, skills. He scared
0: me so much.
1: He scared me but he knew everything. And when we had an outage, we could call him and he could, he could break glass, grab the credentials and fix things that nobody else could. So and he so, was like
2: crazy Ivan in, uh, what was uh dust boot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: He was one tough dude, but he was there when you needed him. And that was pretty cool. So, uh, the skills that we need for these roles, uh, they need to be able to research, right? We need to be able to influence without authority. We see that one, uh, and they need to be able to communicate at every layer of the organization and have a strong technical background to back up the recommendations they make. You know, in that
2: communication I might there's there's a term I use a lot is that they need to be bilingual. They need to be able to talk to technologists with credibility because they have experience. They have to be able to talk to business leaders because they know how and they know how to use which dialects and, and which languages depending on, on who they're talking to. So they have got to be super aware of who they're who they're talking to and what,
1: what they're trying to say. Indeed. Indeed. These folks are going to be using their industry connections and their, their reference documents as their primary tools. Uh, they're going to be using Microsoft Office tools. They're going to be PowerPoint PowerPoint wizards. and that is the the tool set of the security architect. Yep. I'd almost
2: say no Visio even.
1: I do find sometimes if you're running a pilot, (laughs) the security architect may end up grabbing a a DOS prompt and and start installing uh, a a pilot uh, evaluation, but I find that never ends well, because if the architect did the install, then I don't really know I don't have any documentation about how it was installed. <laughs> right, because he didn't write it down. Yeah. No, but they're architect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I We just disparaged the thing we spent an hour talking about. Sorry, sorry architecture friends. Uh, it is a great role and a fun place to be. We yeah, can't we live without you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. All right. I'm looking forward to this next slide because Peter uh, gets to give us the last word. Uh, Peter, what have been the keys to your success over the years?
2: Oh, let's see. I, I've been asked this question a few times, and one of the most important ones, and this is just going to be a little story, and I'll just give one example. Um, very early in my career, I was a programmer in this new language at Unisys called Mapper that was a little bit like BASIC and a little bit like Excel, Hmm. And they asked me to teach the other programmers in the, what they called the MIS department at that time, um, how to build programs in Mapper. And then after a few of those courses went well, they asked me to teach them to the department heads. But before they let me do that, uh, my boss's boss took me into his office and he says, okay, Peter, we're going to role play here and you're going to start the mapper course for the department heads right now. Grab a pen and start writing and talking. And so I did. And Ralph uh, Pratt, who was the the IT manager, I mean, I would say like five words and he'd go, stop. You can't use technical words like that. Start over. And then I'd start again and I'd get maybe two sentences in and he'd say, stop. It's like, oh, this is use technical terms again. And we had about a 30-minute session. And he, I mean, it was so difficult. I was emotionally exhausted. But he, in that one session, he taught me how to talk about technology to people who don't understand it. And I've had to use that again and again. Um And I had great opportunities for developing that skill and using it. Sometimes it was very difficult, um, but it was really uh, instrumental to my success because, you know, without some of those experiences, I would have, I'd be another one of those technologists that you don't let out to talk to business people because they'll embarrass you. Um, And so that was, that's really been uh, important for my career.
0: You know, Peter, there's a little phrase, a little turn of phrase that I learned about that, which is when you talk about things and you, you assume too much about your audience, what that sometimes is called is the curse of knowledge. You forget just how much you really know. And so, you know, uh, you, you had a curse lifted off of
1: you.
2: <laughs> oh, That's great. Interesting.
1: I'm going to speak into that as well, because I think you brought up uh, with this mapper technology, once you learned it, you had to teach it. Yeah, and I see you doing that over and over and mm. over in your career. You have once you've learned it, you teach it to the next the next person behind you, and mm. and you when you learn it, you teach it. You also really consume it. You really know it at that point.
0: Yeah,
1: I Darn mean that's, right. that's real right.
0: leadership, right? When you're when you're teaching other people how to do stuff, right? You're you're uh, some I've heard some some people say like you know when when you get to the top floor send the elevator
1: send the elevator back down right mm, yeah. well and i i i remember having a conversation about this these three different chairs of architects and how sometimes you don't really think about there's actually three different types of roles the strategist the solution architect and the ea uh, but actually when you put it all together there's there's a lot there and we wouldn't probably have recognized that if we hadn't stopped to teach it today so it's kind of fun all right, so uh, uh, Peter, if you had a mentee in in school right now uh, who said they want to be in security someday, what would you tell them to focus on?
2: Uh, good question, Wes. And and there's the two part answer. Two part answer. First, I would I would do everything I could to to help them understand that they need to learn the basics of information technology. They would need to, they need a lot of knowledge about how networks work down to the packet level. What is, what is a packet? How do they work? How do routers work? How do switches work? What do they do? Why do they do it that way? How does DNS work? And other foundational technologies, um, as well as uh, how do operating systems work? How does software work? Um, All those things are really vital. And that's, That's the first part. And then the second part on what to focus on is I would say, do what you love. Uh, There are so many specialties and subspecialties in information technology and in cybersecurity. Find something that you dig doing and and do that because there's plenty to do. There's so many different jobs out there. And if if you do what you love, then you're going to like going to work. And you're, you're gonna, you're gonna make pretty good money, you know, anyway, but you might as well do what you like doing. Oh yeah. Uh, because, you know, the money is not a substitute. If you don't like the job, then you're just going to resent. You, you're just going to have a a, a, a thought process that's more resentful than grateful. And, uh, you know, and everyone's going to know it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There are opportunities in every industry, in every geography, and in every subspecialty. So find what you love, pursue it with passion, and never stop learning.
1: Really good advice. And and I've actually found myself explaining to some young folks lately, uh, if you don't understand how it works, you'll never be able to break it. And if you can't break it, you'll never be able to defend it. And so it's actually kind of three layers of depth, right? The first is how does it work? And the second is how could I attack it or hack it? And then the third is, well, how could I protect against that person, right? And, and understanding mm-hmm. the controls and levers for that protection is really hard and part of, part of the skill that security professionals bring to the table. So uh, thank yeah. you for emphasizing that. Sure. So what do you know now that you wish you knew then? Back in the early 90s when you were running around in an MIS department.
2: Well, that was actually earlier than the early 90s, but I'll just
0: stop.
1: Just there. run with it, Peter.
2: <laughs> I wish I would have taken the red pill earlier. I took I took the blue pill and took the safe route for a long time early in my career until I realized that my career was actually in my hands and not in someone else's hands. And to, to be bold, and to get out of my comfort zone. As soon as I realized that I could do better by getting out of my comfort zone, then great things have been happening. If you just play it safe, you're just going to stay in one place.
1: That's been true for me as well. That's excellent, excellent advice. All right. Uh, thank you, Peter. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Really glad right, you are so here. I, me, too. me too. Likewise. So, good to see you me. guys indeed our key takeaways for security architecture are that architecture roles are very senior positions with significant influence across the organization the industry and in some cases america right Uh, if you find yourself architecting for for more than just your your organization right the reference architecture is a primary tool that cannot be defined by any one diagram or picture and it can be used to understand an environment and plan for the future Next up, we're looking forward to threat intelligence. It's going to be a fun topic. I hope you stick around for that one. Kip, back to you.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot. Hey, guys. Listen, everybody, um, thank you for being here. We made you something. We want you to go get it. It's a free guide. It's called Play to Win, Getting Your Dream Cybersecurity Job. And if you've ever played Capture the Flag, well, what we thought was, hey, why couldn't you take the skills that you use when you play Capture the Flag and apply them to Uh, actually going out there finding your dream job and getting your dream job so that's what we did it's a 20 page pdf it's very visual you can see uh pages six and seven right there on the screen and uh just go get it tell me uh if you like it i'd love to get some feedback if you hate it You absolutely have to tell me that you hate it and you have to tell me why you hate it because I want to fix it, right? This is something that we've made for you. We want it to be helpful. So we just need to hear uh, what you think about it. So if you want to go get it, and I think you should, go to yourcyberpath.com forward slash PDF and you'll find that link in uh, the video description in the show notes. Remember, everybody, you're just one path away from your dream cybersecurity jobs. Go get it and we'll see you next time.